in my mind, from my professional point of view, poor bookkeeping equals increased tax liability. If you have poor bookkeeping, you're going to pay more on taxes. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to The Real Buzz, taking the sting out of taxes. Brought to you by Busy Bee Advisors. I'm Melissa. I'm Eric. He's my husband. She is my wife. Together, we're your hosts for this informative and fun podcast where we share forward-thinking strategies to help you get organized, plan ahead, and ultimately pay less in taxes. Welcome to another episode of The Real Buzz. Today, we are going to be talking about the Augusta Rule, and we're going to be diving a little bit into bookkeeping and the importance of. We're excited to have you absorb the knowledge. So let's talk about the Augusta Rule. That was one that I I heard you talking about with somebody... when, when you were in your office the other day. And I think the, the piece that I want to bring up before we dive into the Augusta rule, because it does sound like a game of golf, is, you know, write-offs. So there's write-offs for money that you've spent, which is kind of the low-hanging fruit that I've experienced a lot of tax preparers that aren't us recommends, you know, you have potentially this much profit in your business and you want to reduce your tax liability. So go out and buy some stuff that you maybe don't need. Never something we'll recommend. Or there's the, what would you consider the Augusta rule? It's not a tax credit, but it's, it's. So an Augusta rule, it actually is in some circles, it's known as the Augusta rule. It makes reference to people that used to rent out their houses during the master's tournament. Right. But what would you consider that? So it's it's not it's, it's a strategy. It's a tax strategy. Okay. It's a strategy. So it's, it's money not, that you don't have to spend that you're not already spending. Well, you're gonna be spending money. But the point is that if you are going to be spending money, let's make it tax deductible. Yeah, let's make every right. single dollar you're spending tax deductible. <laughs> so Absolutely. If we can. And the term Augusta rule is not necessarily something that you're gonna find in the IRS tax code. It actually makes reference to The fact that you can get paid for your personal property up to 14 days of rental value without reporting it on your taxes. So it's otherwise known as the 14-day rental rule. Correct. And that rental rule, it really is. It's a commodity that's priced at what people are willing to pay. If you have a house that's on a golf course and the master's tournament is there and you leave, You're like, you know what, I'm not going to be here for the Masters. I'm literally leaving my house, and I am going to rent it to some corporation. And they're going to pay me $1,500 a day right? for a four-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath house. I'm giving them the full run. They're going to deal with their own food, whatever, whatnot. But they're going to pay me $1,500 a day. And they pay you that $1,500, and that comes out to $16,000. That's a lot of money. But you don't have to report any of that. It's not a taxable event. Why? Because it's under 14 days. Interesting. Even though it's a lot of money per day, the event 
makes it so like i mean at the masters tournament every hotel within a 60 mile radius is 100% booked out they are sold out at a premium I'm at sure. a premium rate and then you put your house up available for a camera crew from one news organization or one company or whatever and they come out and they're like yeah 1500 bucks for five bedroom house yeah that's that's awesome thank you we're going to take that deal you know it could be even be 2500 bucks whatever the fair market value for that goes is what you can charge so the augusta rule is a tax strategy that what that if it's money you're already spending and you're documenting it correctly can be a huge benefit to reducing your tax liability so you have a corporation a company and you have your house or you're renting an apartment or something like that. Although apartment rule doesn't really apply, but you're, you own a house. And with that house ownership, you uh, say, I am going to charge um, this company $500 a day for use of about 50% of my house. Well, that's $6,000. Who's the bill going to? Your company. And the company, you you literally can write them a generic invoice, um, and it's for $6,000. And then your company issues you a check for that $6,000. And that's $6,000 you put into your pocket. It's a legitimate expense for the company. And the company rented for 14 separate days your residence. Now, can you rent someone else's stuff? You can, but money has to change hands. Right. So if we were to use a scenario, because I like scenarios, I always feel like we're doing math word problems. So if you are a, I don't know, pick train up. traveling down track A, that's 45 <laughs> miles an hour. Right. No, and a ahead. clown comes on board. No. So you're a, a professional. You own a company that does, I don't know, let's talk about direct selling. So you are in a part of a direct selling company, which can be incredibly lucrative, and you have a team. And once a month, you have a training at your home rather than doing it at a hotel because it's more convenient to do the training at your home where you have everything at your disposal and you have food brought in. And But you're, you're not spending what you would spend to rent out a hotel room, like a, a conference room in a hotel for the day. So that would be a situation where the Augusta rule could come into play. Yes, yes. Right? And in that specific rule, let's think about it this way. Let's kind of work it from uh, an overview. First off, food. Company pays for it. Right. Right. You're not paying for it out of your own pocket. The company pays for it in advance and has it delivered, brought in, whatever, whatnot. Drinks, same thing. Renting of audio equipment. Or maybe the company goes and purchases its own audio equipment and projection system and stuff like that for you to do presentations. So then the company has purchased all of that. That's all write-offs. That's asset development. And you then go to the venue, right? And the venue charges you, let's just say, for instance, a conference room in your area you find for, what, say, 10 people? And you go and say, okay, I went to three different areas where I could rent a room with these amenities. And the average between all three of them was $1,000. Right. Well, then you 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 charge yourself 1000 
Right. So the first rule is you have to establish the fair market value of the venue. Best way to do that is to get three different quotes. You get three different quotes. You have them list out the amenities because the amenities can be worth a value as well. I mean, if your house has a pool that is available to them, has a horseshoe pit that's available to them, has all of these amenities that are available to them that the hotel convention hall did not have. It's even more better. That's added value. Right. Right. So you could even go, don't, don't, don't just keep your mind locked into using hotels. Look at wedding venues. Cause you know, your house is a representation of you. You put a lot of effort into decorating it and to cleaning it and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's not just a room that is empty at the Hyatt. Right. So put more value into it. Go to wedding venues because wedding venues also cater to corporate events. Sure. So it falls into that. Get the quotes. And if the price sounds right between the three quotes and have them be either in your zip code or zip code away or X miles away from your home, keep it reasonable. I think right? like we, we usually recommend five to 10 miles from your home, unless you're someplace super rural, but close geographical area to your house. And then you rent out your home. You rent out your home to yourself and you do it once a month. That's 12 events for the year. That's 12 days. So that actually means you still have room for two major business development events. So you could actually do it where it's even more than these once a month events where you're doing a a big Christmas party. So then you make even more of your home available. More people are invited. It's a larger number. So instead of it being the 10, you now have 30 people. We'll find out venues that cater to 30 people and how much going to cost for 30 people at their event. Now that could triple the price. Sure. So then it becomes $3,000. Sure. So those two days become $3,000 each and the other previous days are $1,000 each. That's $12,000 plus six. That's $18,000 that you as the property owner can charge the business and the business pays for it. The business gets to write it off as an expense And you get to put it into your pocket or you can put it into a Roth IRA for yourself or you can invest it in a brand new 117-inch TV, whatever you want. But you get to do with that money as you see fit. And you as the person that's receiving that money does not have to report it on your taxes under those rules. I have to say, by far, it is one of my favorite strategies that we recommend, that we teach, that, uh, yeah, that I've heard of. So kind of to go through the list, and of course, our biggest recommendation is going to be to have a conversation with us, with your tax professional, because every situation is, of course, unique. But the first step is to get pricing from three different venues that are within close. And that is one of our means of proving the deduction value. Not everyone that you talk to that is in this world or in the tax world is going to agree on the same method. Why? Because the IRS hasn't said what you have to do. It says what you can do. And then they have guidelines in other areas of what you need to do to prove things. Right. So we're finding the loopholes, if you will. Uh, We're finding the correct ways to navigate existing tax code to provide the maximum benefit to you. 
and we're showing you and teaching you ways to make it audit proof. Because bending makes it seem like you're doing something wrong and you're not. If politicians can get away with using these tactics, why can't you? I give this as an example. There's a politician uh, oh, who, boy. who got uh, audited, whatever, whatnot, and some information became readily available to the public. It was $30,000 a day that he was using under the Augusta rule. That's crazy. He also has a 12,000 square foot house. That's less crazy. That had its own you know, tennis courts and had the Olympic-sized swimming pool sure. and had a nine-hole golf course on there. And it was a fundraising event for one of his associates. And he charged his associates political campaign, $30,000 so, a day. So to he, he charged the appropriate amount. So it's all about what you can, what you can charge what you can prove. reasonably or prove reasonably. Yeah, so what you can prove is a reasonable. And then documentation is, is of course the key. And if you have a 12,000 square foot house and you want to entertain a hundred some odd people and have a party and, and hire catering people and all that stuff, and if you want to charge $30,000 for the day, Hats off to you. Hats off to you. <laughs> so, so I think that there are some strategies that we talk to our clients about. The Augusta Rule is probably the biggest one where maybe if they're not a client and they're calling and they're just having a consultation with you, then they go to their previous tax preparer and their previous tax person scoffs at it. Do you want to talk about the reasons for that? Or should we steer clear of that? Because I'm certainly not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Well, no, you certainly would not throw anybody under the bus. I would be happy to say it's laziness. Or uncomfortable. Because it's going out of there. It's going out of the comfort zone. It's going into what is affectionately referred to as the weeds in the tax codes. But to me, it's no different than a tax preparer effectively using Section 199A to maximize an asset deduction. It's no different than a recommendation of a variety of different tax strategies. As you said before, you talk to your normal tax person, you say, well, how can I save on my taxes? And they say, I don't know, go buy a car, go buy some new equipment. Yeah, they tell you to spend more. And that's you spending more to generate assets that then could be either written off entirely or a portion of them over X number of years. Right. But you spending more to generate additional expenses isn't. But it's it, safe. It is safe. It's safe. Well, it's. I mean, imagine what I just said. What if someone doesn't prove their fair market value for the Augusta rule? Well, then it's it's disproven and then you could. Right. You know, and then you it lose. It would be disallowed. And, yeah, and then you lose it. And then that money that changed hands then becomes. An owner's draw, it becomes a, a – the IRS is going to indicate to you what that expense then becomes, but you're not going to like their answer. The biggest thing is is that you have to prove these things that you're using. Well, and do you think that the reason why a lot of other preparers kind of shy away from it is because there's the the comfort, like you said, of, of kind of staying within your own box? So it's fear of unknown, right? Tax preparers are paid to put numbers into boxes. Tax strategists, those that are personally invested in your business that are helping you do your taxes, that go off into different tax strategies, they're a different breed. So the average 
tax preparer is not going to want to sign their name to something that they themselves can't verify or didn't help in the process of developing verification. Well, that they don't understand. You know, I mean, if if you can do 500, what, 1040 returns and make a good living, why would you want to push to get I don't want to say creative because creative accounting definitely makes it sound like you're breaking the law. But why would you push yourselves? And so it's I, I think it is what makes us different. Um, I think it's what makes our firm different is that we enjoy helping our clients pay as little in taxes as Unless legally they, this is, allowable. This is completely different than the ads that you hear on the radio where it's saving taxes and blah, blah, blah. Those companies are specifically trying to target an audience that's like behind on their taxes. Sure. Or that owe tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes and stuff like that. That's a completely different realm than tax strategies. Tax strategies are things that are put into place to help your company from that point going forward for as long as you exercise that strategy. It's proactive. So the Augusta rule. Let's say – let's keep it simple. Let's say you do one event, you're a direct seller, you do one event, $500 event, you do 12 events for the year. That's $6,000. Okay. And let's say you do two big social events. Fourth of July and Christmas. Fourth of July and holiday party. I celebrate Christmas. Well, uh, me too. So you got those two parties and say those are 1000 Although we celebrate Hanukkah too. (laughs) For another reason. Uh, So you got $8,000 in legitimate Augusta rule expenses. Uh, for the company, and you write yourself a check for eight grand. That is something that you did in year one. You took $8,000 of income from your company and you put it in your pocket without it generating a tax liability. Now, imagine you just did that for 10 years. It's $80,000. That you didn't have a tax liability on, but yet it still was an expense year after year for the business. Why is everyone not doing this? Well, in large part because they don't know how to, or they're just plain lazy. Yeah, I don't think it's lazy. I think it's not knowing how to, and I think it's fear of stepping outside of their comfort zone. I mean, I know that other accountants that I've talked to are very hesitant to step outside of their comfort zone. They understand this box and they understand that they take the numbers that were provided by their clients. They do their best to stick by the ethics and make sure that the numbers all make sense and that, you know, nobody's misrepresenting anything. And then they enter those numbers into boxes and they move along, but they're not thinking about big picture. They're not strategizing. They're not. I think, yes, you're correct. One of the better things to keep in mind with all the rest of this is that you need to work with someone to develop this. Do not learn how to do this by Google. Do not learn how to do this because you want read one tax strategy book, right? There's generally not going to be enough information there for you to effectively prove your deduction. So to kind of wrap us up on the Augusta rule, first and foremost, don't be afraid to take advantage of the tax code. Second, reach out to someone that is comfortable working with you in developing a strategy to use the Augusta rule to your advantage. You don't want to leave that money sitting on the table. There's no reason to. And 
your personal property is not just limited to a house, although that has the greater value to it. You can also, if you have an RV, you literally could rent the RV to the company for the company to use, say, at a company-sponsored event at a Indy 500 race. Right. But right. we're getting a little bit into the weeds or into the fields right. at but, this point. So don't limit yourself. Find someone you're comfortable with. Dive into the strategy with them. Help Work with them in developing them. And if you can't find someone or you don't want to look, you can just reach out to us and we can help you. Love it. But I do want to jump into how to properly expense things with your bookkeeper and this uh, use of the Augusta rule is actually a great way to do it because the Augusta rule, you're going to generate an invoice as a person. You're going to generate an invoice and you're going to give it to your company. And your company is going to issue you or give you money based off that invoice. And then your bookkeeper is going to be like, what is this? And you're like, oh, I paid myself $6,000 because Eric told me to. And you might freak out some bookkeepers. And the bookkeeper is going to be like, oh, okay, that's an owner's draw. Nope. It's not. falls under rent. Right. So let's talk about bookkeeping. Let's talk about, I mean, I love bookkeeping. It, I love to say I would do it for free if I didn't enjoy, you know, things like food and clothes and those necessities. So, no, we, we really are. Our whole team is, I would say, incredibly passionate about what we do on the bookkeeping side of the house. Our company is divided, just to educate our listeners if they don't know us or haven't worked with us. So our company is divided kind of into two. We have the tax division, which is run by Eric. That's me. And then we have the bookkeeping division, which is run by myself. That's her. Currently, we have, as of today, 10, besides myself, uh, bookkeepers on staff. And the benefit of bookkeeping, because we get that question Actually, we don't get the question as much as I would think, but the benefit of bookkeeping is it's keeping track of all of the items that your company is spending money on. That's the simple explanation. And putting them into the proper boxes in the vault. Yeah. And putting them to proper boxes or we, you know, sometimes we'll say buckets, right? Mm -hmm. So it's identifying what bucket the expense should go into. So... One question that I did have last week, and I, I, I almost think that it was like a secret shopper that had called because the questions were very interesting that I would was being asked. But one of the questions when I had a consultation with somebody that the woman that I was talking to was asking was, you know, well, why is bookkeeping important? And my response back to her was really as simple as it's only important if you want to be able to not only claim the things you're spending money on. So claim your expenses and to not have to put everything together at the end of the year. So one of the things that uh, I would say prior to having a bookkeeper, a lot of business owners will be honest and say that they do is at the 11th hour. So let's say they're a sole proprietor <laughs> the weekend before 11th April. hour. Right. No, the 11th hour has passed. It's gone into the 12th hour. Now it's 1 a.m., AKA January. Uh, January. We're talking <laughs> like the weekend before April 15th. And they're at their, you know, kitchen table and they are looking through their shoebox full of receipts. And, you know, we, you hit a point where you get exhausted. And so whatever didn't get totaled up and handwritten down on their 
you know, yellow legal pad kind of gets pushed to the side. And what we've found when we first started, one of the challenges that we would offer up to potential clients was that if we can't show you that it's more beneficial to work with a bookkeeper than to not work with a bookkeeper, we'll do a year's worth of bookkeeping for free. We're not doing that. We're not doing that anymore. Although it was successful (laughs) and and I never had to, you know, never had to write a check for a year's worth of bookkeeping, but, or give it away for free. But it's just the, if you're doing something in real time, it's much easier when your brain is fresh on those transactions than to look back. There's a difference between being a good business owner and a bad business owner. Of course. A bad business owner doesn't have up-to-date financials, which is what a good bookkeeper can provide to you. If you don't know what the expenses of your company are and the income of your company is and the difference between the two of them of knowing what your net and your gross is at, at realistically any given time during the year, then your bookkeeping, your accounting practices need a lot of work. Absolutely. And so I think the big thing that bookkeeping allows business owners to do is to not make financial decisions about their company based upon gut feelings. You should never be making a decision based upon I feel or I think. Then the numbers are there. I mean it's it's the easiest thing in the world, oh right? Oh my gosh. Don't look at your business bank account and say, oh I can afford that. Right. That is the last place you should be looking to know if you could afford something or not. What you should be looking at is your profit and loss sheet. Because you may have checks out there that you that have not been cashed. And I've got more than one business owner that has come to me after the fact and said, well, why am I getting charged for this? I, it's like, you know, a month later. And I'm like, I don't necessarily bill on a, like a, a weekly basis or anything like that. If I build you, you know, 30 days after, that's kind of my prerogative. It's your responsibility to make sure that the money was there. So I think one <laughs> of the things that's happened, though, in... I don't know, the last, let's say, 10 years is people don't write checks as much as they used to. I mean, when I when I first started in the accounting field, these cash apps, I hate cash apps. They'll never be a sponsor for our show. But no, they no, no, but everything is done with a card. You pay for everything with a card, not necessarily just a credit card, but your debit card. And you're not writing checks for things. And we're not used to balancing our checkbook on a monthly basis. So if you're never reconciling, there's all kinds of things that can happen. One of the things that's probably one of my favorite stories is we had a realtor who was incredibly successful, who was a client. And he had probably, I don't know, close to a million dollars in commissions. So there was a lot of transactions that ran through his accounts. Mm -hmm. And our bookkeeper who, you know, was very familiar, was the bookkeeper that was assigned to his file, was reconciling his books. And she started to notice by doing the reconciliations that there were some strange charges that had appeared, just little things here and there. And that were a becoming a pattern. It was becoming a pattern. And there was so much money going in and out of his account. And he looked at his, you know, bank accounts and credit card accounts on a pretty regular basis. But when we totaled it all up, there was close to, I think, $97,000 in fraud that she found on his account. 
He's like, I didn't authorize that. Well, someone that has access to your data does. Right. You know, and I think that happens. I think that that happens often. I don't think it happens on that large of a scale often. Now, was it a $97,000 transaction or was it a net total of like 150 transactions that came up to 97000 A net total of like 150 transactions. Some were little, some were big. So it's not like the money just disappeared all of a sudden and you're like, oh, my gosh, what happened? I just lost $100,000. You're like, no, it was an incremental loss. It was like a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, it's how a proper crook should go about things, right? Should a little bit here, a little bit there. <laughs> but Busy Bee bookkeepers caught it. They saw the pattern. They brought it to light. And what did the business owner do? He was very appreciative. Did I get a steak dinner out of it? No. Mm. That should be a requirement. No, but I don't think that our clients should have to feel like they have to do something extra special because we caught something. So, <laughs> all right, fine. So, no, fine. so that's that's of course a huge scenario. We hope that that doesn't happen, but there are charges that happen more often than not. And you know, if you were able to, I don't know, get a banker on the phone and ask a banker how many times there's fraudulent charges that go through a bank account, I would say the number is pretty high. There's charges that go through your bank account that maybe you didn't authorize. There's charges that go through that are maybe a different amount than you authorized. Years ago, there was a restaurant in Sacramento, and I won't say the name of the restaurant, but they were essentially upping Anytime somebody used a credit card, they were upping the credit card charge by 20 to 30 percent. So somebody had known that they had gone to XYZ restaurant and they didn't think about it when they saw that charge through. But let's say they were supposed to pay for $50 in food, but instead they were charged for 75. So there is a benefit of keeping your receipts and looking at your receipts. And that's getting into the weeds a little bit. But just on the most basic level, doing the reconciliations every month to kind of look and see what the patterns are in your business. That's the first piece. The second piece is, if you haven't noticed yet, everything is subscription-based. Our services are subscription-based. Some of my, my tax advisory services, some of those are subscription-based. Right. So it's not necessarily new or strange, but... Maybe you signed up for something three years ago and you're still paying for it. Absolutely. So poor bookkeeping has an increased chance of you paying for services that you either don't need anymore, didn't want, or accidentally signed up for on a free trial and you're three years into paying it. Right. Good bookkeepers will notice that pattern or bring that pattern to you and say, hey, you know, you realize you're paying for three different payroll companies? I am. Uh, well, let's Workers' comp. That. that was one workers that we saw not too one. long ago. They had three workers' comp policies. The other? Poor bookkeeping <laughs> They equals, were super covered. <laughs> poor bookkeeping <laughs> equals increased chance of fraud. Poor bookkeeping equals increased chance of overdrafting on your accounts because right. you don't know where the money is at. And you look at the account and you say, oh, I've got $10,000 in there. And you're like, I'm going to go spend five, not knowing that you had checks out that equaled 8500 bucks. So you didn't have 10000 You actually had $1,500. Um, so and- two two little things. I love it. You're like going down the list. You're so good. You're, I, I remember years ago when it was a mystery what I did and you were just in the tax realm and now you've, you've come over to the dark side of bookkeeping. I feel like we're kind of the underappreciated professionals of the financial community. You know, the tax guys, especially the strategists, like we get it. You're the rock stars. That's fine. But we're 
we're the I'll ones <laughs> we're the ones giving you the data, but we're only as good as that relationship with our clients. So there has to be a back and forth. You have to be willing as a client to communicate with your bookkeeper. And I'm sure we'll talk about it more on further episodes, but there just has to be communication back and forth. And I'll say this for any type of professional that you hire. If you go through the process of signing a contract and getting involved in doing business with a professional and then you ignore their requests for information, it is your fault, your error, and you can suck eggs on that one. Oh, no sucking eggs. But Well, that's the polite way. You can't then get mad when you are invited to no longer be a client, right? So the one of the pieces that we love to work with people on, if they're wanting to work with us, if they're asking for how can I reduce my expenses, right? If you want to become profitable or more profitable, you make more money or you reduce your expenses. That's it. There's no other <laughs> options. It's two <laughs> options. So dues and subscriptions those reoccurring fees that you're charged every month is a great place for us to look and to start examining. A lot of times there's things that are doubled up. We had a client last month that had seven subscriptions to Adobe. And was paying for all of them automatically. At $39.95 times seven a month, that adds up. Yep. And in those instances, you could actually reach back to those companies and you could get some of that money back because they're not necessarily seeing on their books seven different subscriptions for the same person, although they might, they're not necessarily going to bring it to your attention. Hey, you may be paying us too much money, but you can't go back to them and try to recover some of that. Absolutely. You know, and, and that could be, you just, re, you know, just in that instance, you re, if you've been doing it for a year or more, you could get back 10 months, 12 months. Yep. So reducing dues and subscriptions is a place that we look. The other thing that we look at is setting a budget with our clients. So it's a back and forth. A lot of times people hear budget and they think of it as a negative. I look at budget as kind of a roadmap. So if we have any kind of historical data on your business, we can actually plug that in and create a budget and look at a, here's your goal for the month and where did you hit? And so... A budget can even be a way to grow and expand if you want to increase. (laughs) You could be like a government entity. You're like, I didn't spend all my advertising. I must spend my money here now. Right, right. (laughs) So that's just another piece of what we do. So there's, there's definitely different types of bookkeepers out there. You know, I don't want to go too far off topic, but um, there's the bookkeepers that will work for... Uh, let's, let's be honest. There's archetypes when it comes to bookkeepers. There is the clients that come to you and say, well, I know this, this nice old lady and she's been doing my books for the past 15 years uh-huh. and she's 95 uh-huh. and uh, she retired. Or, or died. Passed away. Or died. Or we something had... like that. And you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. Be like, and she charged me $55 a month. Did she now? Congratulations. You could keep looking if that's the price right, point you right, want right. to So be at. realistic, right? Be realistic <laughs> on what it, what it costs and what it should cost. But there's bookkeepers who work for a tax firm, which is as funny as that sounds, is not how we operate. And by bookkeepers that work for a tax firm, they're interested in tallying all the data to provide for the tax people to fit into those boxes. And so if you've got a tax more. firm that has bookkeepers, 
those bookkeepers work for clients of the tax firm. Correct. Whereas and that's in it. our business is different. We have the taxes on one half of the house and we have bookkeeping on the other half of the house. Not all of our bookkeeping clients are tax clients. Correct. And not all of my tax clients are bookkeeping clients. Correct. And we kind of we keep a good divide there. It's not a necessity. If you want to you want to go to busybeeadvisors.com and you want to find out some information in regards to a bookkeeper, you certainly can. And you don't have to change your tax person. If you're looking for someone to do your taxes and you already have a bookkeeper that you like, fine, you can keep your bookkeeper. Right. Uh, we're not going to force any type of decision process on you. Nor are we going to make a requirement that you have to use one service in conjunction with the other. No. It's a la carte. Pick but the, what you want. The point that I was more trying to get to is that many tax firms that have a bookkeeper that works for them, they are just gathering up all of that data kind of last minute, just like you would be if you were sitting at the kitchen table and you're not reaping all of the benefits, right? So where we're doing bookkeeping month at a time, you're able to see things in pretty much real time. So one of the things that I'm looking at in my mind, from my professional point of view, poor bookkeeping equals increased tax liability. If you have poor bookkeeping, you're going to pay more on taxes. Yeah, because you're missing out on expenses. It's that simple. And so when I get a client saying, well, how can you help me? And I'm going to say, well, first thing, you're going to have to give me some data to work with. And they're like, well, I don't have anything. And I'm like, well, that's <laughs> the big problem then. That's where I'm going to be able to save you money. Because if someone asks you, What's your company's worth? What is your company made? What is your company net at this point? And if you don't know that, you as a business owner aren't doing a proper job. Correct. You should know what your company books look like. Any given CEO worth their salt has a really good grasp as to not only their balance sheet, but their P&L for their company. Why? Because they have to make decisions that affect that. And if they don't know it, then they're operating blind. And if you're operating blind, that makes you a terrible president, CEO, or business owner. And if it crashes, that really is all on you. Agreed. And it's preventable. And it's something that can easily be outsourced. So as a business owner or business owners, what we can certainly attest to is that we wear a lot of different hats, right? And if there's something, even if it's a little thing, that causes pain, which bookkeeping and finances generally do for most business owners, and it can be outsourced, it's a really easy thing to take off of your plate. And you get what you pay for in regards to bookkeeping services. In those instances where you have that nice older lady that's been doing your books for the past 15 years, I start digging into her numbers and I'm like, these may have made sense to someone back in 1990, 1980s, but I don't even recognize some of these accounting practices anymore because accounting practices, just like every other industry, grows as time goes on. And you have to take into account that not everything is going to stay in the same boxes as time goes on. Right. Technology. Subscriptions. Yeah. Is completely different now than it was 20 years, 20, Absolutely. 30 years ago, 30 Absolutely. years ago. You know, dues and subscriptions used to be the magazines that were on the coffee table in the doctor's <laughs> office that you were waiting that you read. That was a subscription, not Adobe. Well, now we grow and we develop. It's Adobe, right? <laughs> so there's got to be growth and development. You've got to use people that are using up-to-date general accounting principles and such 
but, but you technology as well, it. right? So we recommend, you know, shout out, I guess, to Intuit, but we recommend QuickBooks Online. It's what we use now for all of our clients. I don't think we have any clients that are even in the desktop version anymore. If there are clients that are in other accounting software programs, we generally will identify that they want to stay in that accounting program. We'll help them find another professional, but they're not a good fit for us. Well, it used to be you, you would do Intuit QuickBooks and then zero, but now well, Intuit no, owns Intuit zero. zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the biggest reason, though, why we like QuickBooks Online is because it's taken us as bookkeepers out of the data entry profession and into the profession of being able to actually have the time to analyze the data. So properly expensing things is really important, Huge. putting them in the right categories. Calling back to the Augusta rule, that expense is not you as the company paying the owner X amount of dollars. It's actually you paying a rental fee. That invoice and the money spent on that invoice should be earmarked for the Augusta rule. Yes. I'm nodding my head, but you can't hear that. <laughs> right. So you have to categorize it correctly. If another expense that comes in, what's the, what, what kind of expenses would you see regularly that could go into more than one category? All of them, except for payroll. And that's one of the other reasons to have things electronic and to not have things on an Excel spreadsheet. If you have things on an Excel spreadsheet or on a legal pad, it's really hard to move those into different categories without having to redo everything, right? And if you're not redoing everything, then there's the chance that you could be duplicating expenses and, you know, you make a few changes, you erase a few things, and all of a sudden things are all out of whack. But when you're in a professional electronic accounting software, moving things into different categories is really easy. So taking a whole bunch of transactions and reclassifying them from one expense type to another expense type is quite easy for you as a bookkeeper Yes, using modern technology and modern practices. Yes. So I will say this disclaimer, though, just because something doesn't look the way that maybe you're used to seeing it as a business owner, it doesn't mean it's wrong. We get a lot of I don't want to say we get a lot of calls and emails. Well, this is categorized wrong. We're doing our best to categorize based upon our opinion of what the expense should be categorized as. You may have an opinion that it should be categorized differently. Your tax professional, which is ultimately who this data is being delivered to for the purpose of taxes, may have a different opinion. So if your tax preparer wants to see it differently because it's advantageous, because they know your full picture, then those adjustments can be made as well. And you need to communicate those adjustments. Correct. You need to say, hey, I need to see it. Not you did it wrong. You need to say, hey, my tax person needs to see it this way. And tax professionals, I, I've worked with several of them, they're not good at communicating with bookkeepers as to what they want. They just essentially say what you did was junk and it's terrible and you're not a good person and I don't like you and now I'm going to charge our collective client, $300 an hour to correct your mistakes. Wait, what? Right. Calm yourself, mister. Calm yourself. Because just communicate, you know, you as the business owner should be 
in the middle of that conversation. If you're the business owner and you have a tax preparer and you have a bookkeeper and they're not essentially the same business, they're two different business owners, you need to be in the middle of that conversation. Otherwise, you're going to see a lot of unexpected charges from one side or the other. You need to be a part of that conversation between the two of them. So that's one of the benefits of being with Busy Bee Advisors. If you're with us for taxes and you're with us for bookkeeping, the conversations that me and the bookkeepers have or the tax side and the bookkeepers have, well, it's generally not charged a lot for that conversation. And it's super entertaining, (laughs) I hear, to be a client in the middle. (laughs) Well, that's fantastic. I don't think that bookkeeping is talked about enough to business owners. I think business owners look at bookkeeping as being something onerous and just time consuming. Well, if you feel that way, hire someone. And if you want to learn how to do it correctly and you want to do it yourself, we can help you with that as well. We're certainly not saying that we are the end all be all and that there's some secret. There's some really simple rules that we teach all of our bookkeepers that we are happy to train clients on if they are interested. And we're more than happy to pass that. And I will say I've interacted with several professionals that have been in their field for 5, 10, 15, 30 years. And just because someone has been doing something for that long doesn't mean they've always been doing it right. So trust, but verify. Trust, but verify. Trust, but verify in that situation. If you're bookkeeper is doing it this way, but your tax person is saying that's wrong, it needs to be done this way, get in the middle and find out what needs to be done so that your books are right. Because essentially, most of the time you're talking to your tax person once or twice a year, you literally should be talking to your bookkeeper about twice a month. I would At least love by it. email. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you got these expenses that you think need to be categorized as this, Send an email. Hey, I have these three expenses. This is the amount. It's to Bob's warehouse, and I charge this. It was for marketing purposes. Oh, awesome. Because in all honesty, the bookkeepers would have looked at Bob's warehouse and been like, uh, office supplies? Storage? Question mark? Other? <laughs> miscellaneous? I hate other and miscellaneous. Never have something on your P&L or your balance sheet that says miscellaneous or other. You should have a proper title for everything. Everything should go into a box. Nothing should go into the junk drawer. Right. Empty out your junk drawer. If you're a business owner, empty out that junk drawer. It should be in its own proper box. If there was going to be something that I would say is easy, low-hanging fruit to prevent the quote-unquote red flag is to not file anything that has any number in miscellaneous or in other, (laughs) that it doesn't have a title to it. And you can put things in other just as long as the subcategory of other is like continuing education. Okay, we get it. So you don't like other. Jeez Louise. Get away from using other. Bookkeepers need to be communicated with just like any other professional that you engage. So take the opportunity Find a bookkeeper that you're comfortable with. Make sure you're having a conversation and make sure you're touching base with your bookkeeper. And if your bookkeeper is requesting statements from you from accounts, provide them. Can't say enough. Communicate with your bookkeeper. Thanks. You're very welcome. All right. I think that's about it. 
I think that we have hit on this topic enough to get people to think about it. And I hope that you do think about it. And that I hope that you either reach out to us for additional information or you reach out to someone else. Because if you don't want to do your own books, pay someone else to do it. Or if you're not sure if you're doing it right. Reach out. Get some education. Yep. More education than a Google search. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you investing time with us, and we hope that we provided you with some information or at least sparked your imagination to have a conversation with someone else. Have a great day. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to The Real Buzz, Taking the Sting Out of Taxes. If you like what you heard. Please subscribe. Please post a positive review. And share with a fellow business owner or friend. If you're serious about reducing your tax liability. Reach out to us at BusyBeeAdvisors.com. And follow us on Facebook. And LinkedIn at BusyBeeAdvisors. Thank you. So here's the fine print. The purpose of this episode is for entertainment purposes. You understand, of course, that everyone's tax situation is completely different and that one tax strategy or suggestion cannot be applied in all cases and that there very well may be variations. Thanks for listening.